and gentlemen, you have tuned yourself into another episode of Music the Lifebloods Conversations from the Pit. I am your very humble host, Dustin. Join with me is Music the Lifebloods' own roving reporter, my older brother, Derek. First time on the show. Derek, how are things? Good. Good, man. Everything's well. All right. So leading up to this, I think I came to you like, I don't know, was it a week, week and a half ago? Yeah, about a week ago. Yeah, I had said that I want to talk about um, sort of the explosion of the quote unquote, uh, I don't like saying hair metal. I don't like the term. I think it, I just, I don't like it, but we'll say eighties metal explosion because you're born in 1972, which means you were coming of age right as things were really crescendoing. Yep. Okay. So I want to get immediately, I want to start at 1985. <laughs> on record i've said it numerous times i've talked about it in numerous episodes of vinyl thursday carter and i have talked about it jake and i have talked about it on the podcast all kinds of stuff i think 1985 is the um i don't want to say ground zero but i think that's the point everything hit critical mass and went boom sure because the next year everything drastically changed so 1985 is what i call the holy trinity of that era of music. It's Dawkins under lock and key, Motley Cruz theater of pain and rats invasion of your privacy. Yeah. So immediately what, what comes to mind about that, that time? Uh, rat for sure. They were, they were the ones that really, really, really made me start listening to that kind of music for sure. Do you remember, was, do you remember what grabbed you? You remember what it was? Uh, the very first song that any of us heard was Round and Round from Out of the Cellar. That was the okay. very first song. And and we all thought, who the hell, who the hell is this? And then, of course, they had some imagery on their, on their shirts of the rats in the sewer and the rats crawling over everything. And, right. and um, yeah, that's what, that was the very first thing that I latched onto. Do you, you, did you see him? You got to see him around that time, right? Yeah, that was uh, probably, that might have been my very first, like, big real concert and uh mom and dad actually took me to that one and it was it was rat and they opened up for billy squire and i think i was in seventh eighth grade i think okay did wait did dad go in yeah yeah yep you're kidding me no no mom it was i did me, i didn't me, know, mom I didn't and dad's i yeah. didn't know this yeah 
Did he take yeah. his hearing, did he take his hearing aid out? Do you know? It, you know what? I don't remember that. I'm gonna guess that he probably did once the show started. Because I mean, you know how loud it is. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna guess that that was that was too much sound coming in for him to be able to tolerate with his hearing aid on. Okay. So he probably right. took so, his okay, hearing okay. aid. Okay. Okay. So quick quick little tidbit of trivia. Our our dad right. Um, our dad had a, it was born with a congenital hearing loss, like major hearing loss. Um, and it, uh, um, the, he, per, he heard music very differently than, than what us with sort of quote unquote normal hearing would be. So yeah, I'm, you know, with one hearing aid in, uh, in, in, in his left ear, by the time he passed away, he had a good, maybe five, 10% of what we have regularly. Yeah, so, the so, yeah the the one yeah. ear was probably ninety percent lost. That was his good one at that time. Okay, I had and, and, no, I had no idea. Dad went in. I yeah, man, no, I had no idea. About that. Wow. Yep. Okay, I ought to get mom on the show and ask her about that. I wonder, <laughs> wonder if dad bitched about it the whole drive home. So uh, I don't, I don't, I just remember I was blown away. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, and and I remember mom and dad both. I mean, it was a good time for everybody. I think they think we were all happy, but I don't know how dad. He didn't like the crowds in the in the first place. Sure, but sure. It was uh, and back then it was general mission on the floor. I think we had we set up in the up in the seats, okay. and we had we had assigned seats and stuff. So we didn't, you know, it wasn't we weren't bumping and getting slammed around and stuff, sure. but. Sure. It was, uh, I don't remember anything except a good time from that night. All right. Well, that's, that's another episode. That's another episode, but yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. So, so round and round was the, the entry point, the point of entry, right? Yep. For sure. Okay. Do you, do you remember, did, do you remember, was it the video was seeing it on yeah. MTV? Yeah. It, it might not even have been MTV. I don't know that MTV was around until like 87 ish. Is when we all like everybody had cable and everybody was seeing MTV. Okay. I don't know when MTV first came out. There was um, it was, there 80, was eighty or eighty one is when they went on air. Okay, yeah. So I don't know that we had cable. I don't remember having cable during that time. So MT, I don't remember having MTV during that time. But um, there was a show that was on a network network that was real late at night called um friday night videos oh, okay sure and sure. and and i used to stay up late with mom and we would watch and see what videos would come on there so that's the first time i saw that video would have been on on that friday night video show that was that was on it, it came on at midnight every night and for me at that time staying up at midnight was uh that was that was a big accomplishment to, stay, to be able to stay up till midnight <laughs> right no, neither of us i think neither of us i don't know it probably comes from probably comes from dad i'm guessing it's like we don't like being up late neither one of us like i i fucking hate it like i hate being up late i just like i want to go to bed by 10 i'm gonna get up lift weights and fuck all <laughs> of you that yep. want to stay up till 2 a.m i'm not doing yep. it yeah all right cool. <laughs> how how present how present was motley crew at that time as far as how you were ingesting music what was coming your way um, they were for sure. They were they were huge. They were they were really big. Then Motley Crue was probably the biggest one at the time. I I remember as early as fifth grade, listening to um, Shout at the Devil. That was the first album that I bought. And uh, actually, Grandpa bought me that record from the retail store here in town that used to be called Vows. Okay. So he he took me out there and he bought that record for me. I remember getting in the car and taking it out of the package and it was black and then it had the shiny pentagram on the front. Sure. 
And I remember grandpa saying, are you sure mom wants you to have that? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 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 grandpa, it's fine. Totally fine. So that, uh, that was the first album that I got. And so I was already listening to crew, but when rat came out, they, um, they really, I just fell in love with them. They were, they were kind of my first, like I was, I was really crazy about that band. Do you think, do you think there's, there's anything to do with anything to do with the, the, and I'm okay. I'm asking this because you're what you're, I've, I sort of fondly in my head, my residual image of you is sort of like a, an adventurer, you know, like a, <laughs> Like a your your like in Hellraiser, <laughs> but when uh uh when Kirsty asks um Pinhead what they are and she and Pinhead says explorers in the fur in the furthest reaches of experience, um like something like that. But that's kind of in my head. That's sort of my residual understanding of you. You're always hunting for some sort of new experience. Yeah, and, for sure. So there's a there's almost a sort of swashbuckler sort of thing <laughs> that that I paint you with in the back of my head. So, you know, Rat had that sort of buccaneer, you know, swashbuckler, oh, yeah. swash, you know, buckler, you know, kind of look to him. Did it? Ha do you think that grabbed you at that oh, point? I for sure, probably. I I can't, I can't see why it wouldn't have. I mean, for sure, Stephen Piercy, he he looked like a pirate. I mean, yes, he didn't have a yeah. he didn't have a patch, but you know, he had a, he had a headband on and it wasn't tied in the back. It was tied over to the side right. and stuff around his neck and on his legs. And I mean, <laughs> probably, but they sounded different, you know, they, how, they how, sounded, so? how so they were uh, Motley Crue at like shout at the devil was a little, I don't know how else to put it, that it, it was a little harder than, than the flashiness of rat when they came out and they had well, their, their guitars were fantastic, but yeah, it, well, was, there's, it wasn't. With, with with shout at the devil, it's worth mentioning because you know, sort of the genesis of the genre, um, metal at large. I'm not talking just sort of quote unquote 80s hair metal. Shout at the devil is an overtly metal album. Sure, absolutely. But yeah. but nothing else from the catalog is. No. You know, whether it's Too Fast for Love, Theater of Pain, Girls, 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 Doctor Philbegood, it doesn't matter. Shout at the Devil is a quote unquote metal album. Yeah. So, so well, that, even that it's, said, yeah. Even its title, I mean, its title was way more metal than than other stuff that was out. Oh, you sure. know. Yeah. 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 They they have they had some some satanic imagery. They were their album was called Shout at the Devil. The songs right. were a little darker than what Rat Rat started talking about was. I mean, they were talking about girls and relationships and sex and drugs and just sure. partying. And so it was, it was a, it was a different thing. And especially at that time, you know, I was starting to, I, I'm, I'm all the way into puberty and, and starting to really look at girls in a different light. So this sure. was, I mean, this was a d different driving factor than, than us just wanting to, you know, listen to something heavy. Sure. Okay. Does it, you had said specifically guitars, you had mentioned guitars a minute ago. Oh yeah. Was, I mean, both, both of us have played. You know, the, the, and just little background on Derek and I, Derek and I have the same sort of artistic traits, um, where I'm, we're both musically inclined, but I tilt, you know, a little more advanced than what Derek does. Mm -hmm. Um, I can draw, but Derek is much, much more skilled. Just what I would think is he's imbued with like 
five, you know, 10 pounds of meat in a five gallon, you know, five pound bag. As far as like artistic ability, he sort of bursts at the seams with, you know, what he can do with his hands, that sort of thing. So we ended, we both ended up being able to play guitar. You know, do you think, because everybody brings up Warren D. Martini, yeah. you know, uh, that like, did, do you think that clicked something in your head at that age? Oh yeah. hundred percent. I, I remember rats, their, their riffs and Warren's guitar solos always sounded, they were much bigger than mm. like Motley Crue's sound was just his guitar sounded bigger and more grand than, than the other things we were listening to. Now, you had like Eddie Van Halen at the time too, and everyone, I mean, everyone knew Eddie was like God. But even even that rat sound was it was different. It was it was bigger and and more grandiose, I think, maybe. And so, I mean, you you caught on to that. And when, you know, out of the cellar, round and round is not that, but invasion and privacy, like when they that that riff to lay it down, that's that, that's the shit. I mean, that that thing, you're like, fucking hold on. Don't turn that song. What is this song? <laughs> I I think I sometimes wonder with rap because there's a lot of stuff in drop D tuning in the rap catalog. Sure. Um, that Motley Crue just doesn't do. So you don't get that one extra couple steps lower D note mm -hmm. ringing yeah. that you just don't have that in Motley Crue. I don't know if they tune down half a step or it may. I would think maybe they did similar like kiss tuning. Kiss yeah. tunes down either a half or a full step, but you're, I think you're right. It's especially when you stand Warren D Martini next to Mick Mars. Now everyone calm the fuck down. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Mick Mars is an absolute badass, um, a certifiable badass. However, <laughs> I, I, Motley Crue has always suffered for not having a second guitarist, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think probably the combination of Robin Crosby and Warren Martini, and then Juan Crousier, you know, fills, you know, a much bigger space, you know, even if McMars was double tracking stuff like Jimmy Page, you know, that just him and Nikki Six could do. You know, I always wondered why they didn't move Nikki to a guitar because he writes most of the damn songs. Yeah, had, almost all of them. Yeah, he had to write them on something. So mm -hmm. I've, that's always been kind of strange to me. I don't understand why they went without. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't know, but probably another episode anyway. How was Dawkin on the radar? Yeah, they were. Um, what you have to remember is during that time too, the, one of the big factors is we didn't have the internet at all. So all we had was some exposure on TV some radio stations that we could find, like 98.9 The Bear would play would play stuff. Um, Q95 that's was... That, that's in Fort Wayne, by the way. Yeah, it's Fort Wayne Station. Yeah. So Q95, which is the Indianapolis station, they would play mostly classic rock, but I remember, I remember this from being with Dad down at the factory. I would go with him down at the factory and we'd always turn the radio on. Well, they would have like a metal hour at certain times. And so you could, so you could hear some stuff like Motley Crue or Rat during those times. Um, but Dawkin, we all knew Dawkin, but a lot of times the way we found out about these bands was somebody would go to a show and hear about a band who was opening for another band. So that's how we would hear it. And then we would come back, go to the record stores and start filtering through stuff. And we would find, okay, who's this Dawkin people? We'd listen to whatever album we found. 
and then we liked it. So then we go back and we buy more albums. So word of mouth or just getting you were with your down at your friend's house or whatever. That's how we found out about bands. Dawkins, they were definitely a big band back then. Some people liked them. Some people didn't care, but they weren't necessarily anyone's favorite band. Right. They, they, just, they just weren't as big, at least around, around me and my social group. They just weren't as big as Crew and Rat and why, bands why like that. Why do you think that that is? Because Dawkins is, um, I mentioned it, I did an Under Lock and Key episode of Vinyl Thursday last year, and... Um, I, I had written in the script for that episode, I had written a bit about, you know, kind of talking about Dawkin being sort of relegated to second tier to, to Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi. Yeah. Down a tier, you have Dawkin, maybe Poison, and then you have the third tier bands that, you know, whatever. The, I, I just, I, for some reason, Dawkin, to me, I feel like they're looked over. I, I think they are in the the theory that I have is that they just they were not as much of a spectacle as the other bands were. Sure. They um they you know all, all the guys in the band they were all good looking dudes. Their hair wasn't as big, their shows weren't as as flashy. They and Dawkins primarily for, for from what I remember, they dressed in just black. They weren't, you know, they didn't have a bunch of scarves and colors all over them. And um, they, they were just, they didn't have the theatrics that came with a lot of the other bands. So they, I think to, the, that's, I mean, it's weird because that's your, like your residual image of them, right? Sure, sure. But yeah. like the, the cover of Under Lock and Key, George is wearing that bright red. The red leather yeah, suit. The red leather Dawn, suit. Dawn has that sort of sparkly blue thing on. Yeah. And Jeff Pilsen, I think it's. I think it's the Breaking the Chains video. Jeff Pilson's got that white leather outfit on. <laughs> yeah. And he's, yeah. His, he's a redhead. So yeah. it makes it it makes his hair pop even harder when it's over the top of white leather. And I wonder, they're, they're criminally underrated, in my opinion. Well, I, I think, especially as I've gotten older and you learn to... You learn to listen to music and and evaluate it while you're listening to it. You're not just listening to a, a good song that you like. Sure. And I, I've I've came to understand exactly that. Like, why were we not like really soaking everything they were doing in? Because they were they were fantastic. But I think I really think it was. It's just like the flash and the show wasn't there. Because I remember guys coming back from seeing a Dawkins show. I, I didn't get to see them until much older. They would come back and they would say, you would hear shit like, well, Don Dawkins just stood there the whole time. Mm. Or like, you couldn't even see Don Dawkins' face because he used to wear that hat and he would just stand there kind of in a shadow. And there wasn't, he was, he was not a good front man in any way. Mm. I think, well, man, you, you know, it's funny because like, I love Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, it, I sometimes wonder if it's unhealthy. You know what I mean? To where I'm like, I you fucking say something about Don Dawkins, I'm gonna pop. Yeah. You know, yeah. for it's I I sometimes wonder because they had a dead they had a dead period. I think Breaking the Chains came out in '81, I believe, and then they had they went on tour. They came back broke. They they didn't know what to do, and I think we have like two two and a half years go by. George Lynch, you know, maybe joins Ozzy's band, maybe not. He got the gig, then he didn't. Um, and then they come back and release Tooth and Nail, 
in 84. So which so, uh, is Tooth and Nail? Wh which which is the album that's black with the red Dawkins logo and the kind of a, I think there's like the a, chains. okay, Breaking the chains. the chains. So this is what's funny is uh, I've liked Dawkins uh, the whole time. Never loved them. They weren't like, I, I wasn't like Jones and to go to, to, to a Dawkins show. But when Compact Discs first came out, yep. I bought, there was two CDs I bought. The very yep. first two CDs I ever got in my entire life was Cinderella, their very first album. Right. Night Songs, right? Yep. And, and that Breaking the Chains album by Dawkins. At the time, like I had maybe heard like two Dawkins songs. I didn't know what albums they were on. I didn't know who they were. I just knew I had heard these guys. So I'm like, yeah, I'll buy that one too. And it was, I, it had that live version of uh, Paris is Burning. Live. Yeah, it was a live version. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I look, I'm not, I'm never going to fault anybody for taking a page out of the Kiss playbook, you know? Um, it, it is what it is with, I, okay. Um, but you know, the, the, it's so interesting with Dawkins because, you know, the Scorpions had that period of time. I think it was prior to love at first sting. Um, but after it's gotta be sometime after love drive and animal magnetism. So that puts it somewhere in the ballpark of between 81 and 83, I think. Yeah. Where Klaus, he fucking lost his voice. Like his voice was gone. It was sure. gone. And they had to keep working on an album. And while Klaus ended up having like some sort of a surgery to get to get things fixed. And he had he was down for a while. So they had Don Dawkins come in and do the demos with Matthias Jabs and Rudolph, mm -hmm. Herman and uh Francis. They had Don come in, so there was a minute, like a brief minute, where Don Dawkins might have been the singer for the scores, which, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it yeah. would have worked. It absolutely sure. would have worked because Klaus is, you know, Don's Don's capable of those soaring notes. When you listen to um, the the Live in Japan album, um, was it Beast in the East? I think. So that's everything up through back for the attack, I believe. So Dream Warriors was probably the most recent single when that when they were touring for that. And Don's capable of touching kind of the sphere of Rob Halford every now and then. Now, yeah, he he's not going to hit that high ass A note in or whatever note it is in you know headed out to the highway, but. Don could have made it work. You know what I mean? So yeah. I sometimes wonder if just the, the sort of herky jerky, um, you know, start stop to, to Dawkins early on might've set, you know, kind of put him in a bad rhythm in a way. It could have it been, I, I think it might've been a, like another band I think of that that happened to was, um, as I recently, like within the last 10 years, I got to see Testament and, and during the time that Testament was a big deal, like nobody fucking listened to them. We had no idea. Yeah. Like yeah. who they were. 
And then later that happened. And I think, I think the same thing maybe happened with Dawkins. You know, there were so many bands that just saturated the scene out of nowhere, just boom. There right. was all kinds of stuff to listen to. And like you said, they had, they were there, then they had that time off and that time off, maybe it did. It hurt him. Yeah. It hurt him. And, and it stopped him from getting like catapulted into like that superstardom that like crew and, and Cinderella and rat and those bands did. At that time, yeah, I think I mean, there's they were just, still there, but it just it just it just never got to that level. Look, which I mean, like, dude, side one of under lock and key alone, uh, alone puts in the entirety of theater of pain in the fucking dirt. Like, unchain the night, the hunter. It was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, you know, I geeked out about it on Vinyl Thursday, but like, it's one of those albums where, you know, when I, when I'm writing the script for an episode, it's, you know, I, sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, God fucking damn it. You know, why does anybody <laughs> know this album? You know, you're just angry about it, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I mean, the strength of It's Not Love, The Hunter, Unchained the Night, which wasn't even a like, quote unquote, hyped single. You know, I have a promo 12 inch of it, but, you know, it wasn't a single that they really the the label pushed. I think sure. I think, can't remember what label they're on. I think. Cruise on Electra, but I can't I can't remember what docking are on. But anyway, what about what about Theater of Pain? Oh, it was gigantic, gigantic. Did you see him on that tour? Yeah. Whoa, really? Yeah. I saw him. Let's see. I saw him on Theater Pain, and then I saw him on Dr. Feelgood. And then I didn't see him again until I think it was like that decade of decadence thing that they were doing. And that was Vince was still singing, but it was starting to sound pretty rough. See? Yeah. Well, it had Dude, to dude look, look, man. Look, I'm not. <laughs> look, I like Van Halen. And part of being a Van Halen fan is admitting that David Lee Roth is a shit vocalist. That's, yeah, that's, that's, he just, doesn't, that's just where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it, it's the same thing with Motley Crue. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about the us festival. Um, and I think that would have been 83 ish summer of 83, I believe. Um, the us festival. So Van Halen were the ones that headlined it. And that was the biggest payout a band had gotten for a single show at that point. Yeah. And it's over a million, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And Van Halen is, is at their Zenith. This is pr just prior to 1984 being released. Um, and crew played earlier in the day. So you had 
you had Missing Persons, um, Motley Crue, Quiet Riot played. Um, I think remote, the Ramones played one of the days. Like it was just this big gnarly ass festival. And there's a lot of, there's like when I'm having a bad day, you know, I'll cut, you know, come home, clean the house, lift weights, you know, and I'll put on something like Motley Crue at the Us Festival because it's funny to listen to Vince <laughs> try, try to duplicate. And I'm not. I don't want to be mean about it, you know what I mean? But I want to be realistic because he has never been a great singer. No, I'll, no, I'll, just, I'll totally agree. But with a lot of those bands, I don't know that you could list a lot of them under the great singer category. But Vince, Vince for sure was not. It, on his best day, he maybe was average. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I hate saying that because Shout at the Devil is one of the, the greatest albums ever made, you know, yeah. in, in yeah. my opinion. It's always a bummer, you know, when you it's kind of like when you're a Kiss fan, you have to admit, well, they're a bunch of fucks. <laughs> sure. You, you know, there's no yeah. other way to say yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, like, you say, well, they were good. You, no, no, not really. <laughs> But the but the songwriting is also not that great. <laughs> I've I always feel you know I always think about Bruce Kulick you know because I always you just have I just I always feel sorry for him because that guy's a legitimate musician. Yes, yes, Bruce <laughs> is. That's the that's the shitty thing because I think I think you know you gotta you got. A sex addict, a megalomaniac with body morphia issues, a coked <laughs> addict who brags about the size of his dick, a drunk who drink who does cocaine just so he can drink more. <laughs> Vinny Vincent shows up, <laughs> yeah. and then you got Bruce, yeah. you know, just 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 clocking in on time, you know, learning <laughs> learning the songs, and I just like. He's like a fucking national treasure. Like, why did why haven't we built a statue for the yeah. just the bullshit that that man had to put up with? I, I always I always feel like it kind of went like this. They were like, Bruce, here's the song list. We need you to learn these. He probably picked it up and said, I already know all these. <laughs> what do you, <laughs> you want to do now? <laughs> What's next? <laughs> <laughs> these these aren't hard. Yeah, yeah. Give me. <laughs> Do you want do you want me to tune the drums or something? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Feel bad for Bruce. But it's funny because Asylum, Asylum came out in 1985. Or no, it didn't, did it? It was around that time. Yes, it, did. Um, it came out. Yeah, it came out in 1985. Was, was that was that the first album without the makeup? No, that was Lick It Up. Lick It Up was the first album. So like that was like a major deal. <laughs> that what well, was it? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, for us. I mean, we we could because again, we didn't have the internet. Like we legitimately had no idea what any of these people look like. It now, was a, did, but, but it was a huge your, deal. Did, okay, so they did that unmasking on MTV. Okay. Mm -hmm. They did it on a Sunday night. Yeah. At eleven o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> After a rerun of a fucking Van Halen show. Yeah, <laughs> that's when they put it on. And even in the studio, it was just like um, JJ, the real good looking black dude. Um, 
oh God, I can't remember that guy's name. Um, but anyway, it was him interviewing the band and then just like a camera guy. Yeah, you know? it, it, they just literally like they walked out into the studio setting and we were all like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like it wasn't anything yeah. grand. But yeah. the, lead, the lead up was like we were all like, oh my God, we can see what these guys look like. And then they came out and they're like, uh, they're just like some dudes. <laughs> right. I mean, I love them to death, but it's just always with Gene. You know, there's I look, Gene is fucking busted looking. There's no other way yeah. to say it. Well, like, he's never like even even the young Gene. It's, it's not an attractive man. Yes. The, when right. they came out, you know, Paul came out. And we're like, he's a good looking dude. He's. It's a little too much hair there, but yeah. Other than that, you know, he was a good-looking dude. He was very furry, but <laughs> but the rest of the band were like, you know, maybe you should put the makeup back on. I don't know. I think that the makeup was working well. <laughs> it was doing. It was doing good. You were. You were yeah, doing guys were doing pretty good with that. <laughs> you're doing God's work, Gene. Put that back on. All right. What does? How did um? How did you discover the Scorpions? Uh, Scorpions, much in the same way. It was probably, it was probably late night MTV. MTV used to, every once in a while, they would have like an hour of, and I don't even know if it was called Headbangers Ball back then. I don't remember when Headbangers Ball started officially, but they would have blocks of time where it was nothing but like rock videos that they were showing. And, um, and, and again, the radio, the, the first Scorpion song I remember is Rock You Like a Hurricane. That's the very first song that I remember all of us latching on to that was a big that was a big deal video it's like the proto version of nine inch nails uh wish yeah <laughs> you know people trying to destroy the band you know yeah 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 there was yeah the band's in a cage and there's there's like an earthquake happening right <laughs> i think too was, that the it's so interesting with the with the scorpions because i remember i interviewed um mike um mike did i interview mike yeah, I think it was Mike from a band called Witchcross. Um, and Witchcross, they're, you know, they're over in the UK. So, I mean, you can call them a European band if you want, I guess. Sure. Um, and I remember talking to Mike about, you know, was was the Scorpions an accept on your guys' radar over there in England where, where they register? And he said, you have no idea how massive the two of those bands were and here in the states granted scorpions were big you know rocky like a hurricane obviously love it for sting that's a killer album um and we all everyone had that album all of us oh everyone had that Mm. i think is is big city nights on there i think so but i can't i your your recall is much better than mine Diddly, 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 wow. 
Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that that's not big city nights though? That's big city nights, but yeah, I don't think it's. I think it's on blackout. I don't think it's on love at first sting. So, but I don't want to look it up. But the it was interesting talking to Mike because, except especially because, other than balls to the wall, <laughs> that's the only song any of us knew. Yeah, except didn't really move the needle here in the United yeah. States, and they are the fucking German Judas Priest, in my opinion. Like you listen to an album like Restless and Wild, and it will knock you on your ass. Yeah. Well, what's it's funny is we all knew that song. And uh, it was okay. Nobody loved that song. Mostly we were just like, hey, look at this fucking lead singer. <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is this deal? <laughs> that was that was why we knew that band. We were just Udo, like, look at this dude. <laughs> dude, Udo has, has metal street cred out the ass. <laughs> like, you can't, he is untouchable, man. But the he was like, to us, though, it was like the... It was like Dirty Johnny down the street. They were all like, fuck, don't let that kid come over today. <laughs> that's, that's the way he was. <laughs> like, he always smells like pee. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's what that guy was like. We're like, who is this fucking guy? Like, this song's not, this song's not bad, but this guy. <laughs> um, dude, I, I, that's so terrible. <laughs> Udo in his camouflage. Like, yeah. I, dude, he's amazing. He's like the Green Beret version of Rob Halford. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, at that point, good God, his voice, man. Like, oh, like fast as a shark. Like, have you ever fucking listened to that song? Just like. I, probably not. <laughs> I just never. I never paid any attention to that band. Dude, I remember. I remember the first time I heard Restless and Wild. You know, they're running wild. Restless! <laughs> yeah. You know, that sort of Udo scream, like... untouchable in the sense that there's no one can duplicate what he does and and the fact of the matter is like his chubbiness is part of it sure heck yeah like and i'm a big i'm a big advocate for chubby guys make great front men too you know <laughs> there, there's 
God damn it. Let the chubby guy sing. Loaf, you know, <laughs> Udo. Like, I, I think it's a, I just think they're, they're amazing. They're just, they're, it's like Grim Reaper, you know, you know, Steve, Steve Grimm is the, the dude's voice is incredible. You know, see you in hell, you know, Steve Grimm is absolutely badass. But then you, you know, when you look at the band, you have that in that era of music where you go, hmm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and you can you have to sort of reassess things and go, okay, um, yeah, all right, I can, yeah, I can work with this, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, like, uh, Crowbar is one of those bands for me. Like, I heard them way before I saw them, and right. then I saw them, I'm like, these are just dudes that work at the factory, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I think, <laughs> well, just... no, is. Because I think most most people's first experience with Crowbar was probably Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think I could have, I, maybe it was Existence as Punishment, I believe. I think where <laughs> Kirk, at the beginning of the song, the first lyric is, <laughs> <laughs> And Beavis and Butthead are making jokes about him taking a dump, you know? Like, it's just like... <laughs> He looks like the football coach that yells at you. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. which we need more of that, you know, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, who knows? The the hair metal scene may have lasted longer if some of the guys were, you know, kind of chunky. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> a little out of shape. Kind of chunky. Would have had a little more life, life, you know, yeah. life. But, uh, <laughs> it, anyway, anyway. So Rocky Like a Hurricane was probably your intro to the Scorps, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about what about Def Leppard? Because Hysteria is, you know, uh, yeah, Hysteria is to me. That's when it kind of it turned the wrong way for me. I think the music all shifted to be geared way more towards uh, a female audience than a male audience. Sure. So um, Pyromania was that was that was a big deal. Everybody had that. We had that album that played all the time, all the time, so, down at the pool, down at the Little League. You always heard Pyromania. Well, I, I mean, Too Late for Love, Die Hard the Hunter, Photograph, Rock of Ages. Yeah. yeah. Right. Foolin'. Oh, yeah, Foolin' too. That album's solid, though. Yeah, yeah, it's, that whole album is good. Were the first two albums, On Through the Night and High and Dry, were they, were they out there? No, no. Now, those were those were afterthoughts like we we all had pyromania and loved it and then we would go back to the record store and try to figure out hey is this their first album i mean you heard that a lot when when like when out of the cellar came out for rat we were all like hey this is their very first album it's the only thing they've ever done in their life so we would hear stuff and most of the time that was the first time we were hearing anything and we didn't know that there were albums before that so the only way we found out was going to the record store and flipping through bins and seeing a record flipping it over and saying oh shit this is two years old mm. what's this one sound like did you have did you get the the, the rat ep did yeah you, it, did you get it did you did you have it did you get it after out of the cellar came out do you know when you got it oh no i i don't know that it, it would have been it would have been on a on a on a payday payday trip to Muncie with mom and dad and and they they went to the mall and what was the big record store in the mall at the time it wasn't karma nobody even knew what karma was music land they, yeah music land yes 
So anytime we would go to Muncie, I always went into music land and, and most likely that's where, that's where I would have got okay. most of what I had back then until, um, one music came around, which was, uh, just a small store and it moved around Muncie too. It wasn't always in the same place, yep. Yep. but, but it was always there and smelled amazing when we went in there. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like one of the things people would say, well, which one, which store is that? You know, the one that smells like uh gonish incense all the time We're like oh fuck yeah <laughs> i love that place right but, but what was cool about that place is they weren't um they weren't like a big integrated store it right. was it was a small store and we could go in there and find an album or a or a cd or a cassette and ask the dude working if he would play this while you were in there and we could preview it he would like yeah man i'll put it on and then if you liked it, you'd go ahead and buy it. If not, he'd put it back on the shelf. That's the, I mean, I, I mean, I remember going to one with you. Um, I remember it was in the village for a minute and then it was, you know, on the, the main strip in Muncie McGalliard. And yeah, then it maybe like in somebody's backyard at one point, like they're, they're just <laughs> like a bunch of like bohemian stoner dudes that were yeah. all, that were like, yeah, we're totally into Diamanda Gallus, you know, like guys <laughs> yeah, like Edie Brickell, you know, like it's, I, it was always, you know, and I'm seven years younger than you. So when you're coming of age, like I'm very impressionable. Yeah. You know? And it's, yeah. I, I was like, okay, the I'm, are those hippies? Is that what a hippie is? You know, when you're young, it's hard to understand, you know, culturally kind of what you're encountering sometimes. But I, you know, it's funny that rat EP because it's it's overlooked in my opinion, the same way that GNR's first EP is overlooked because it's just I mean the shadow of appetite for destruction. Mm -hmm. You know, it casts such a long shadow, but nobody talks about that first GNR EP. It's not good in my opinion, but yeah. it's I mean it was a it was a live album. Um <laughs> what is it live like a suicide, I believe? I think they uh there I think there's an Aerosmith cover on there, I believe. Oh yeah, maybe I haven't, I haven't listened to it for a while, but that that rat EP is so interesting to me because you think you're tough is on there. Uh, back for more, I think, is on there. Yeah, back I for more is definitely on there. Back for more showed up on out of the cellar too, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I think it's strange the way it's strange the way that 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 era of music, the, the sort of moves, beats and pacing of it, because sometimes it's, it's hard to keep up with because there's just so much happening. And they were, they were bands that were at Megalodon levels of exposure. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's like the ultimate rich vein when it comes to, you know, that ballpark of bands, it's, it's very overwhelming, like just hysteria alone. You know, like we're talking about an album that probably to this day still sells two, three, four thousand copies a week. Yeah, yeah. That, even though mm -hmm. that that album wasn't my favorite in any way. I mean, but that that it was so big, so big. Yeah. And their their tour had changed at the time, too. And that's when they you started hearing people talk about concerts being in the round. And they were they were at least. I remember they were one of the first ones that I remember doing that where they were in the round and like, sure. there was no bad, bad seats. Everybody could see everything. And, right. and, and that was, that was a big deal. Big, did you see, deal. did you see them at any point? No, I, I, I never got the chance to see Def Leppard. Um, 
uh, Casey, she actually got to see him one time, but it was that's, um, that's that everyone that's Derek's wife. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got she got to see him at um, what used to be Deer Creek in Indianapolis. Now it's I think it's Ruhoff or whatever. They they change the name every so often, but she got to see him. I had never got to see Def Leppard. I saw a lot of other people, but not not Def Leppard. Casey's family really likes Def Leppard. Oh, she did. <laughs> Yeah, I think I can attest to multiple members of that family liking Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah, her and her sister for sure. <laughs> yep, yep R- for sure. R- R- Ryan is strictly Pantera and Ted Nugent fan all the way, right. and Zach <laughs> Wild. Anything Zach Wild does. So I remember, you know, the first time I met Casey's brother, I went, you know, I went to his bedroom and he was in there just walk, you know, like <laughs> yeah. Like no more tears, kind of like pinch harmonics and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. I the the you know you have the you have the first wave of that scene. You have the second wave where things went enormous. Were you dialed into the third wave? You know, by the time Skid Row came around, were were you there? Or were oh you yeah, on? no no no. I, I I was. I don't know what year that was. What happened was. There was so many bands that started to, to come on, and and they weren't all hair metal bands. They were all at the same time. One of the bands I remember liking the most was Tesla, and they're another band that I, I thought got so overlooked because they were just so fucking good, so good. And but they weren't. They you know they didn't have gigantic hair. They didn't have makeup on. None of that stuff. But they were at the same. They were at the same time, and they were just huge. Huge. I love Tesla. Van Halen was still super strong back then. And um, the, it, it was just so many bands. And then we started getting things like Warrant and Skid Row and stuff started to shift a little bit. I think that it started to shift a little more towards a m- more pure of a rock. And, and it started to get a little darker. And then at that same time, like my later years of high school is when I, and I, I first discovered Metallica. Yeah. And and when that happened, then shit really changed. Yeah. And Justice for All. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I listened to that album a, a billion times. A billion. It was just on repeat. That's like the only thing I listened to for yeah, a, a when you, year, well, probably. I, when you were in college, when you were still living at home, you know, that would have put me like around like 11, 12 years old. Uh-huh. You know, and that's when I first picked up your guitar. And then. Yeah. Within a year, I had my drum set and I was off to the races. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember just the the way that you were describing rat earlier. When you heard it, you went, well, what is that? You know, <laughs> yeah. Leave that on. Yeah. You know, if Can you make it louder? You know? Yeah. That sort of thing. I remember that same sort of switch, you know, flicked when, when Metallica got introduced. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about Megadeth. And yep. then, and then anthrax, and is anthrax, on, anthrax yeah. is on her mind. Then all of a sudden I heard about Slayer and then I'm off, you know, yeah. uh, the, it was just, it was interesting because that third wave, because that third wave lasted into the transitionary period that would, that would be, that would become the, the over alt, you know, movement. I don't like the term grunge. I don't. Grunge, yeah. grunge. To me, grunge sounds, it almost sounds derogatory in my opinion, but the, the whole alt movement that happened, the fallout of the 80s, you know, the end of the, um, you know, the ex, the, the cocaine 80s, you know what I mean? The, yeah. the rape 80s, that, that yeah. sort of, 
It's like all the all the all the drugs and sex and party and wore off, and then everyone was sad because they came down. Yeah. Yes. And then and then everybody's fucking bummed out about everything. And it was there was a ton of good music, and we loved it. But god damn, it was it it was fucking depressing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I you know culturally, it's it's neat because you know Carter and I talk this talk about this you know and often when it comes to conversations from the pit that there's you know, whatever's going on as far as like the sociological biology of the country, you know, and the world, the greater world at large, it always has some sort of effect, you know, as far as artistic output and things like that. Yeah. Because yeah. You don't you don't get the new wave scene without the sort of frustration of 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 inner city people kind of reacting to the, you know, the 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 sort of end of the arena rock seventies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Fog, your fog hat and your frustration at bands like heart. It was just too much. You mm -hmm. know, you get the, you get the new wave scene happens and then the fallout of punk rock and then, you know, hair metal explodes after that, that sort of thing. So, I mean, one, it's that sort of wind to change, you know, when it blows something major, major, major happens in that. Regard. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, to, to me, like the genre as a whole doesn't, at this point, I think the genre as a whole is getting more respect than what I've thought it's gotten in the past. And I sometimes wonder, obviously the internet, you know, is, is the, the big game changer, you know, we're going on, you know, th 30 years of it really being a part, you know, of our day-to-day -day life, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. I, I sometimes wonder like the proliferation of guitar tutorial videos and and the sort of uh, virtuoso instrument culture on YouTube, you know, people that play their instruments, guitar especially, really well. Yeah. You know, because you have, you know, you have your Eddie Van Halens, George Lynch, Warren D. Martini, you know, all those guys. That I think people have really come to appreciate that, you know, playing your instrument really well was kind of lame, you know, for, for a decade. And then yeah. all of a sudden it got cool again. Yeah. I, I think something that happened, this is what, what I noticed is, especially with people like me who are gen, gen Xers, we, we were in love with all this music. And then as we started to mature, we, we, we never stopped listening to that music that we listened to when we were younger. But we listened to it in a different way. Mm. And then we started to notice, holy shit, man. That, I mean, these guys were fun and partying and we loved it. But God damn it, those guys are good musicians. They're yeah. not just yeah. fucking around. Yes. And, then, yeah. and then what happened was I start, I start having kids and my kids start listening to music. And I want them to know my music that I listen to. And so then I, I think that's what some of that resurgence may have come from is dads showing kids, hey, that's listen, right. this this is where the good music was, you guys. Right. I think that you're at the you're at the front end of Generation X. I'm at the tail end. Sure. You know, I I always joke about, you know, I'm close to the millennials, but you know, my superior strength and intelligence separates. <laughs> <laughs> John, John and Jake fucking hate it when I make that joke. So it's, it's, all, it's always funny. I'm all like, nah, you look like a millennial, Dustin. We're like, does this bicep look like a millennial? <laughs> exactly. 
you're such an asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do, I know do either one of these? Yeah. <laughs> be like, this is what you guys give me money on the internet for is to make <laughs> awful jokes, you know, but I, 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 yeah, I do think you're, yeah, I think there's a whole lot of truth to that. I, you know, I, I, the sort of Eddie Valen, Eddie Van Halen guitar revolution that happened, you know, obviously you don't get eighties metal without Eddie. Yeah. You know, you didn't, it just doesn't happen. You know, 19, it's just interesting because I've talked about this before that the, the, the ugly thing about the, the, uh, the ugly thing about like sort of what I call Kardashian culture, um, you know, you know, that real short sort of 140 character culture, you know, yeah, short, yeah, yeah. Atten short attention span, that sort of thing that, you know, is, is, is Van, ha is Van Halen relevant in, you know, 1998, you know what I mean? Are they, sure. cause I, I mean, we think they were, but there was a lot of people that didn't, but were they? Know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because the the attention span started shortening. But the neat thing is, like in 1985, 86, Van Halen's first album was still relevant. Oh, absolutely. You know, in in that regard, so it was the shelf life was quite a bit longer. At least my opinion is, it is. But you know, there's pockets. There's pockets within like audiophiles and you know music, you know enthusiasts, that sort of thing. There's pockets of people that you know just excavate. You know, they're just digging for more and more music. You know, that's kind of what Carter and I, our thing is, you know, just find everything you can and listen to it. And there's there's a lot of people that I think MTV was interesting at that time because MTV helped you do a lot of that excavation work. Mm -hmm. Because by that point, FM radio had been, terrestrial radio had been moving away from sort of localized regional DJs being able to have sway over what was what they were going to push on the airwaves and they had moved more towards a top 40 format you know top 100 we're going to cycle through the same 40 songs in a day yeah that that sort of thing and it took a whole hell of a lot of momentum to be able to break through and get yourself into that cycle to be able to be fed into the machine mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because the, you know, there's a part of music history that's pre MTV and post MTV. Sure, sure. And then you have pre internet and post internet. Yeah. You know, it's it's really really interesting how much MTV fueled that not only the you know the decade obviously but just this genre of bands like what it what it would it have happened otherwise. Oh, I, I would say no, not not like it happened for sure. I think MTV was all the way the catalyst for us to find out about all of the bands that we found out. Right. You know, like I said, we would go to shows and occasionally there would be an opening band that no one had heard of and we would find out about them that way. But without MTV, I mean, and, and especially into the middle of the 80s, like you said, we weren't listening to the radio a lot. We would tune in at the, the top five at five or the top 10 at whatever time. And then the cassettes or the CDs would go back in. You bought singles cassettes. Yeah. I remember when those were a big deal, all of a sudden I, you could, you could just buy the hit and some lame ass song that was in there with it. I they remember like 
I, I like, remember riding like two dollars or something. Yeah, I remember riding in your Volkswagen Rabbit and your truck because you yeah. got an S10 not long after that, I believe. Yep. And I remember riding in there, and when you got the Malibu, which <laughs> fucking Malibu, man. The Malibu was fucking rocking. Like I had my sure. I had my fingers crossed that that was going to be a hand me down to me, but it never happened. <laughs> yeah. I got I got stuck with a 1992 Chevy Corsica with an emergency brake that didn't work. So, yeah, the Malibu the Malibu seen some shit for sure. <laughs> yeah, I still got I still got a scar on my leg from, from the back seat. The, yeah, the back seat, <laughs> a little little piece of metal that jacked. Yeah, it was sticking out about that. But I, I remember looking through your tapes in 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 your car and seeing you know, singles for things you, because you did discover, you discovered, you know, R and B and hip hop too. Cause you, um, it ran sort of concurrent with you. You had an appreciation for hip hop as well. You know? I did. Yep. Yeah. What, what had happened was probably early on growing up in our house, the, the stereo was on far more than TV. We, we didn't have cable until, till I was in like probably fifth grade, maybe fourth or fifth grade before we even had cable. So the television was not on, but we did have a huge stereo system. And, um, and we were listening to Skinner and Frampton and Fleetwood Mac and Elton John. The, that, that was on all the time. So I, I'd already had like a kind of a classic rock background. And then as I started to get older, then I started listening to the radio. And on the radio, they played more of like, you know, the top 40 hits. And it was, it was more like, uh, like poppy stuff. Sure. So with that, you start kind of digging and at the record stores, you, you, you go in and you find things that you heard on the radio. And then in the same, the same catalog, you start picking out other stuff. And then that's the same time too, that there, there was movies that came out like breaking and, and beat street. And sure. that's when I, I started break. I was break dancing all the time. I was break dancing in the neighborhood and we were going to dances every Saturday. Wait, night. wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Tell him your breakdancing name. Oh, it was sweet. I had fucking sweatpants with gold letters all the way down that said Alakazam. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fucking cringy, but like amazing at the same time, you know? It it was tits, man. It's like uh, it's like Tiny Tim, you know what I mean? Like when you see Tiny Tim, it's like, what the fuck is? What is he doing? This is fucking awesome! Like, yeah, <laughs> I remember you had a you had a sheet of fold out cardboard with awesome graphics on it and stuff. So, yeah, 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 yeah. There was yeah. a there there was a point where you could spin me on your head. Yep. Yeah. You know, so it's funny because like I'm six four, two hundred and eighty pounds now. Like I'm almost double your size. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's just funny. You know, I remember but, we were we were we were in Hartford a while back, and we ran into someone, and and you said, "Ah, it's my little brother," and it went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's little. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a lot of times I, I do the uh, I do the little brother. Right. <laughs> did you buy did, did you buy cassette singles or 45s of of like the 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 80s metal hair bands? Um, I didn't have a lot of 45s of any of the hair bands. Those were mostly 
albums. I remember buying whole entire 12 inches and then um, cassettes. And then and shortly after that is um, when CDs first came out. And then yeah. we didn't have anything but CDs. Yeah. You know, we, we had CDs. And then I remember at, at some point in high school, probably a little early on, I remember a couple kids having a multi-disc changers installed into the trunks of their cars so we could fill that thing full of like 10 cds and we wouldn't have to even change cds for a while That's so awesome. it was it was mostly i i i had a few albums and then um when i really started to take a huge interest in music i had i had a ton of cassettes tons of cassettes i mean like like hundreds of cassettes right and then and then cds after that do you because Worldwide Live, you bought on CD. I bought it first on cassette. I had it on cassette first. Why'd you buy it on CD? It, because it came out on a CD, and I, I found it somewhere, and I, and I stopped listening to my cassettes. We got a CD player at home, and it was one of the ones that, uh, that I listened to so much. So when you and, you and Mom came home that night, you, had, you guys had Beatles Rubber Soul and Beatles for Sale. Yep. Worldwide Live and Dawkin Breaking the Chains. Yep. That's what I remember. Uh, Cinderella. I had Cinderella's Night Songs, too. <sighs> Worldwide Live is so good. Yeah. It's like it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. You, know, you know where you're all like, so Rudolph. Good. You're like, Rudolph, don't play the riff. It don't, don't do it. <laughs> it I can't. I need a break. I can't. <laughs> Just play the zoo. It's gonna hurt. <laughs> you know, like I, the that album. I've I can't count how many times I bought that album over because, and it's the. I mean, it's because you brought it home that night. Yeah. You know? It's because you had it, and I remember. I remember when you when you would when you were gone when you were at work or you were with a girlfriend or whatever. I you said I could go in your room and listen to music. Mm -hmm. You know, because I, I got your, your boom box, you know, your, your breakdance boom box. I got yep. that. It was the hand-me-down. So that was my stereo for a little while. And then when you were gone, I could go in your bedroom and listen to it. And I remember listening to that whole album while you were gone one day and you came in, you came home later that night. And I remember go running to you and saying, there's this song called dynamite that it's really <laughs> fast. And they go, you know, like I remember being a kid, like being really excited to tell you about that song. And I remember we went in your room and we listened to it that night. And I just remember the two of us geeking out about it. And I had wondered because I was thinking about that the other day. Had you did you listen to that song prior to that? Or, or probably, were, you, were you just sort of jumping around? Yeah, I would jump around because <laughs> here's the other thing that was funny and, and probably maybe what made us a little different in the things that we liked and, and our style of, of listening to music is that when CDs came out, all of a sudden I didn't have to fucking wait till this song's over to get to this one. I could skip around. And if I really loved that song, I could listen to it again and again and again and again and again. So I, I don't remember just sitting down and listening to an album front to back very often. I mean, that didn't happen. If a song came on, and it didn't immediately grab me. I just fucking skip it. Well, you're—I mean, you have a shorter attention span than I do. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's yeah. all. That's been the way it's always been. 
Like I listen to albums. Yeah, you know, that, that's what I do because I'll sit there and read the linear notes, you know, like mm -hmm. that's where that habit started from that Scorpions worldwide live. That's yeah. I was picking through, you know, those first generation CDs like 85, 86, they're garbage. You know, they're they're like a fucking as heavy as a piece of lead, you know, for one. And then the printing is just awful, yeah. you know, and it's I remember just trying to read, you know, hold it under a light to get, you know, a better look at it. And that's you know, funny. That's funny that you said that, though, because we were so used to scratchy albums and and like hissing cassettes when those first generation CDs came mm. out. It was as clear as a fucking angel's voice. Like we right. were like. I didn't even know that that fucking bell was in there. Or, <laughs> did you even know they did that? I mean, you could hear, you could hear everything. I never even knew this song had lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, do you know they play guitar on this? <laughs> right. I that, but it's funny because I made the. I think I made the joke. I sent you a text the other day. We were, we were going back and forth about something, and then we mentioned theater of pain. And I, I made the joke that, you know, I, ironically, the mastering on Theater of Pain is so bad that Louder Than Hell can never be louder than hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I, like it was, John will get that joke. Carter will get that joke. And like, you know, the people that watch this show that get it. But it was one of those moments where I went, ah, and I look. Uh, no one's here to appreciate it. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't walk in the other room and tell my wife, you know what I mean? She's yeah. going to be like, what, is this, what does that even mean? Yeah. You well, I, I got it. And it, it was funny. And I for real <laughs> LOL. Right. I did. It's funny though, because those, those first generation of CDs, you know, um, it's, it's interesting because that period of music, it, it was captured. It was the first sort of, as it was happening, era mm -hmm. of music to get captured on cd yeah on, on a completely new format right i think the like when we when we like when you when it comes to mb3s or like itunes obviously a lot of music that's out there in the ether and digital format is from the first big wave of itunes uploads of of bands and artists getting their music on on a digital platform yeah so you hear there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of music out there digitally now that has been compressed to shit you know and it screws with the volume and as far as the band of the way eq works you're going to cut stuff off the top and you're going to cut stuff off the bottom so you get left with a ton of mid range and you're losing all this definition in your low end and your high end. And I put in that copy of worldwide live. I have it. I it's one of the yeah. CDs I've over the years, I've stolen numerous CDs from you. <laughs> and like I'm not bashful about it either. Cause yeah. And I know, and I know where they are. If I can't find <laughs> right, them, then... right. You know, <clears throat> go, go in the other room. Like we're talking pounds and pounds of CDs. I've just taken from Derek. You know, <laughs> and the, I put that in the other day and other than the volume being lower, it sounds pretty fucking kick ass. Sure. You know, the, the actual transfer and the quality of it is still pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Now, and may I'll if it you know if I come across the remastered version of it I'll I'll buy another copy of it but did did you have it on LP 
No, not I don't think Never so. Not that it. it was just I, cassette the CD. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because what what had happened at the time, albums were not looked at as the treasures that they are now. Mm. They were an old, worn out, scratchy format, and they sure. just they didn't sound as good. And and then the cassettes were the same thing. Cassettes sounded okay. I mean, that's what we had been listening to. But we stopped buying cassettes too as as soon as CDs came out. With those cassettes were no more. They they disappeared. So what was your what were your must haves? Like when you made the transition to CD from yeah. that era of music, what were your must haves? I have to get them. Uh, oh, this will sound. Um, so from from the metal stuff, uh, I bought uh, I bought Poison's first album. I bought. Poison's second album. I bought Doc and Breaking the Chains. I made sure that I had um, a, a new copy of Night Songs because that thing had got torn up and beat up. Um, all of Motley Crue's stuff I bought. And then, like I said, that's I started listening to Metallica about that time too. So, so there was a whole different influx of music that started coming in sure. along with that hairband stuff. And then what, what I did too was some of the Van Halen stuff or the Judas Priest stuff that I, I wasn't listening to as much, you go back and you start making sure you have CDs of, of those too, because they were so much more readily available. And by the time CDs came out, we had had a bigger catalog of bands in our head. So there, there was a much more that we wanted to make sure that we had too. Right. So a lot of the stuff wasn't brand new stuff that we were buying. We were going back and making sure that we had all of Judas Priest's albums. All of Molly Cruz's albums, all of Cinderella's albums. Right. How much was Priest on the radar? Um, within my little group, I, I remember going down to um the neighbor's house. You remember the Bolts? So uh Rick Rick and his dad, they built a stereo. And I don't know if it was his dad. I, I would imagine it was his dad that introduced us to some of it, or his uncle. His uncle was there a lot. And um, Priest was not, they were, I don't remember them being on the radio that much, but we all, we all knew about them. And um, I listened to them, Rick listened to them, a couple of my friends listened to them, but they were not, they weren't big. Because you mentioned hearing a live <clears throat> album, a Priest yeah. live album. Yeah, and I don't know what even, it was. No, I have no idea, but I remember like the crowd noise and, and all, and it could have been another live album, you know. They would they would they would filter noise in to make it seem like it was a live album, but maybe it wasn't. But pre, pre priest is pretty faithful in that regard. They don't they don't muck around with much. Yeah. So, but priest in the east that the live album was at seventy nine or eighty. So that's everything up through those less Binks's last album. So I think that's Hellbent for Leather Killing Machine. I believe. So it'd be everything up through seventy nine. Or 78, 78 or 79, or 78, because they released two albums in that year. Um, that that album, Priest in the East, most of it's live. Yeah. Most of it. But Rob Halford's vocals were done on a terrace in, I believe, Spain, looking over like a, a green sort of gigantic. You remember when we went to Washington, D.C.? The Washington, the mall, the mall, the yeah. big stretch of land where it's all grass. Sure. 
kind of like that. He was on the back terrace of this huge house with a PA, and they mic the PA from the yard. And so Rob was up there doing his vocal takes. So if you could imagine it, like a nice wet, you know, like a nice summer in Spain. I think I think it's Spain. (laughs) Rob's out there probably in like a kimono. Yeah, with a a glass of wine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, doing that sort of thing. It's always funny, but the because I thought about it, I think I sent you the cover of the album. They did um they did a they did a live album that would have came from the Turbo Tour. Yeah. So it would have been fuel the Fuel for Life tour, which was just Priest dot 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 live exclamation point. That's the name of the album, and that was that would have been eighty six, eighty seven, I think. So yeah. So I, I'm gonna guess that's probably more likely the one we were listening to. Okay. Why why didn't Priest break through for you guys? Um, it, it did with a lot of people. I think just my personal preference was more towards bands like Cinderella and Rat, not because, not because of their flashy. I just liked their music more so at the time. Yeah, you know, I liked Priest, but um, Quiet Riot was another one. I loved them at the time, but they just they weren't like my favorite. I liked Cinderella, Rat, right. Crew. Those those were my bands. Those were those the bands named. <clears throat> those are all quote unquote younger bands at that time. Yeah, you know, obviously Priest was established in the seventies. They moved over. They had the big pop for you know you release British Steel and then um, you know Screaming for Vengeance goes Supernova. Um, so it takes you up to like I think what is it eighty three I believe I think. Oh man, 82. Screaming for Vengeance is 82 because it came out in the same year Blackout by the Scorpions. So it's 82. Screaming for Vengeance went supernova. You know, you've got another thing coming, obviously. That's, yep. that's the one. And then yeah. after that, you have Defenders of the Faith, Free Will Burning. And then after that, you have Turbo. Yeah. So what did Turbo land with you guys? Or oh. were you- no, absolutely. And a big reason for that was TV, was television again, for sure. Okay. Do you, you remember seeing the, the Turbo Lover video? Yeah, the anim, animation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, a big, that was a big deal. Yeah. That was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It looks like, you know, like high school TV productions class now, which is, I mean, at the time, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I remember the, the video for uh, Free Will Burning on Defenders of the Faith, it's like a kid just like fucking losing his mind in an arcade playing like Outrun or Spy Hunter or something like that. Spy Hunter, yeah. Yeah, like rot and like priest or above. I'm like, ah, you know, free will burning. You know, and the kids just like going nuts over a video game. So I think it's like cutting edge, you know, video games. (laughs) I the the only other thing the only other thing that I want to touch base on because I think it's I I don't it had I didn't think it had a huge impact <clears throat> you but I think it was out there you know just sort of happening and I think it's always worth talking about and it's 1986 trick or treat and the movie yes yeah. <laughs> I I remember I remember you guys bringing home a video. You guys rented a video of it, and I sat in the living room and watched it. 
you know, I think you and I were because you used to sit on the floor a lot. Yeah. Know, just like that's where we, you know, we would sit there and eat cereal. And yeah. huddle, we would huddle around the stove. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, the, 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 the one heater. heat source. <laughs> The in the, one heat in the source in the whole room. fucking living room. Yeah. yeah. The the that movie, that movie, because it's it obviously, obviously it has ties into the satanic panic, obviously, but it also has ties into Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. Kiss, Kiss. Yeah. Obviously, Gene has a cameo or a bit part in it. And it had it's it's sort of commentary on the folly of you know, uh, a teenager sort of run amok yeah. to, to be able to ingest things like Alice Cooper or Blackie Lawless, you know, stuff like that. So do you have, do you, is there anything significant surrounding it? Not, not for me so much as, um, it, it was more of, uh, for me, here's a movie about like metal shit and that's why it was so cool, you know? But it wasn't um, like it wasn't any kind of like turning point or anything like that for me. I remember the movie for sure. I always remember that movie, and it was it was it was cool. But I don't think that it had any kind of major impact or anything. Not on me because I was I was already so saturated with like the hair bands and then and some of the heavier stuff by then that that it was just a it was a cool movie about about metal, you right. know. So who do you think Sammy Kerr is is patterned after? God, I don't know. It could be it could be all kinds of people. See, there's there's an argument, you know, that we've had on the Music the Lightblood podcast. And I've I've never thought to bring it up to to John Carter. And I always go with I, I think it's Blackie Lawless. Uh, I would that I was gonna say probably Blackie Lawless, maybe. But possibly Nikki Six. Yeah, I, I could I could definitely you know, see you know what I mean? For sure. it's, it's sort of but Blackie was um Blackie was much more theater than than even crew was at the time. Oh for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Wasp the Wasp. <laughs> there you, you know that that's another band that um mm. they were they were kind of shock rocky right. when they were when they were very popular. But they're another band that that I didn't really take time to listen to until I was much much older, and I mean there's there's four or five Wasp songs on my on my playlist. Right. They they got some fucking good shit. It's you they, know it's, I mean they got some bangers, but if for me it's like I just can't. With well, it's not. Um, I, I feel bad about saying it. I, I don't because it's just it, it's kind of straightforward kind of bluesy metal that's it, it, there's no hidden meaning behind it. It just, you know, it is it is what it is. I, I fucking went blind drunk in Texas. That's exactly what that fucking right. song is about. Right. Right. <laughs> Drinking entirely too much and getting thrown out of places. In yeah. Texas, I, well, you know? it's I mean, it's it's just so like. I don't know, man. Animal fuck like a beast. You know what I mean? Like when I listen to the song, I just don't picture a guy that fucks like a beast, you know? <laughs> yeah, and maybe maybe I, he just wanted everybody to think that he did. I don't Because <laughs> <laughs> maybe he really wasn't a wild child either. Who knows? <laughs> uh, 
But there's a whole fucking song about how how much of a wild child he is. <laughs> Such a fucking lame joke. <laughs> <laughs> I can't like I don't know what it is with Wasp. I just I don't know. I remember being a kid and watching that video where they're on the rocks. I can't remember what it is. Blackie's got the saw blades. Yeah, he's got the saw blades. Yeah. He's got the saw blades, and I think it was when he was still playing bass. And he was like, it was. <laughs> It was almost like when you watch a winger video, <laughs> Kip doesn't play bass much. You know what I mean? Like he's no, he he just he just kind of he kind of whips it around a lot. Right, and, right, and yeah, looks yeah. great. You know, yeah. it looks great doing it. You know, yeah, like he, he was like, a, he was a handsome fella for sure. I'm, gl I'm glad Alice Cooper gave you a job. I'm you know, <laughs> super happy about it. But are you playing that or what are you doing? You know, it's like rancid. What it. You know, I remember the last time you and I went and saw Rancid, like, Tim, like, are you, is that even plugged in? <laughs> I know. You know, like, I don't think you're really playing. <laughs> like, Lars is doing a lot of heavy lifting over there, man. <laughs> you need to, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, he just doesn't play. Like, he holds mm -hmm. it. He just holds it. He'll, you know, occasionally he'll doodle, doodle, doodle. But I'm like, is, I remember, like, leaning into the PA being like, Try to see if there was anything coming out. Is he? Is that happening? You know, so it, it, it could it could have been one of those times too. They were like, just pretend you're playing because you know <laughs> you, you don't you don't know this fucking song anyway. So just <laughs> he's it's funny because he's like the songwriter, like and he's like the dude that was in Operation Ivy. Yeah, and like it's like huge, like East Bay, you know, punk rock scene, you know, like you know, God figure. Yeah, um, but the idea that someone goes just just unplug him. Yeah, just you know turn what I mean? it off. Turn it off. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't even don't plug his amp in. You know, like, but it's the same thing with Kip Winger and the same thing with Blackie Lawless. Where I think with it's just the sort of like OCD in me, like the dickhead part of my personality, where I'm like. <laughs> Why are you even holding that if you're not going to play it? Yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Well, just be the singer. That's fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Why? And, but, if, but if you didn't have it on, then, then there's no bass player. And I'm like, where the fuck is the bass player? You got two yeah. guitar players. There's a bass on the album. Well, I mean, some of that, because from interviews and stuff, you know, <laughs> these guys were just, they were just trying to get chicks. And they were like, look, if you don't, play that instrument you're not getting chicks tonight so <laughs> just fuck, just fucking hold this and pretend to play it man uh, <laughs> it's like no because it's like you're like they're a commodity you know what i mean if you don't check off this box no chicks for you no chick, yeah you're not getting chicks bro <laughs> so, mm, not happening yeah no you did didn't meet the quota <laughs> Yeah, yeah, did you sorry. did did you play on one of the songs? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, then where's the drummer? It's like it's like Bruce Kulick, you know, like I was in Kiss. Oh, what makeup were you? <laughs> yes. And Bruce has to go. Uh, well, I played. I, I was the one that actually played well. <laughs> <laughs> In case you don't know, tears, <laughs> tears are falling. Yeah, it sure as shit are. <laughs> I played that. <laughs> that. That was all me, bitch. <laughs> I think 
we joke we joke about like Bruce is like the consummate professional a lot, and like you never see Bruce just sort of lose it. Yeah, you never see Bruce go, "Oh fuck," you know what I mean? Like it never (laughs) is. That's not going to happen. He's just not going. And I just want to see Bruce be like, "Where's my fucking water?" You know. (laughs) (laughs) I said no green M and (laughs) M's. Right, right. My writer says a six pack of Bud. And two <laughs> subway foot long tunas. You know, <laughs> I don't see him on his fucking catering table, and I ain't playing Tears of Falling yeah. until I get a tuna sub. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, it's never gonna happen with Bruce, which is, is, I mean, good for him though. So, yeah. All right. So, before we go, what what's the album? Oh. Probably, probably Cinderella's Night Songs. I've mentioned them but for for me that that was the album and then and then later on uh I was a big Cinderella fan yeah and and Long Cold Winter is and uh, you know I'm a huge blues fan too right and um and and Long Cold Winter and also Night Song they have some they have some pretty especially Long Cold Winter that really heavy blues influence and those songs are fantastic. And Cinderella is another band I've seen twice. And um, they, to this day, they are the best sounding live band I have ever heard in my life. And I, I've, I mean, I've seen probably damn near a hundred different bands. And that is the best live show I have ever heard. I mean, sound wise, they are, they're just so good. So good. When, did, Tom, you, when did you see them? Uh, the first time I saw them would have been probably in the late nineties. And then I saw them again at like one of those festival shows sometime in like maybe 2008 ish. Okay. All right. 
I they feel that the here's the the thing that always bugs me about Cinderella is that night songs that album the look the cover of the album the videos that gave them a huge pop because you know Bon Jovi were you know really kind of helped them yeah you know you know take off that album had such a big pop but when you listen to the, when you listen to that album and then you listen it, to it, the rest of their career you know not, what I mean yeah like, oh yeah, yeah I think they they I think they got coaxed into something that they probably weren't even comfortable doing yeah you know what I mean because they I don't know where I can't I don't know where Cinderella's from but they're like an east coasty sort of band yeah. you know what I mean like they're they're with like Aerosmith you know mm -hmm. what I mean they're like the 80s version of Aerosmith in my yeah. opinion yeah and I think early on they 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 had that look but their music was not like the standard hair metal stuff you know oh, they oh, they no. they they were they were a, a much better band than like poison was yeah. poison poison was the poster child like hair metal band in in yeah. my opinion and um I, I love a lot of poison songs and i've seen i can't tell you how many times i've seen those guys probably six different times with with you know they do those festival tours where they bring sure. along all kinds of other people but as far as like straight hair metal goes I would say probably invasion of your privacy. That's 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 one of the biggest ones as well. Is there a sleeper song on there that you feel like doesn't get enough play? No, not for, really. For me, for for me, it's never use love. Yeah, that the the whole album's good. I always have, and I know you yell at me about this, but I, I am one of those guys that's like the hits. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I I remember buying a lot of best of albums because that had all the songs that I liked. Right. And, and occasionally I would find, you know, I, I would find a song that wasn't on the radio and wasn't any, no one else was listening to that I would like, but I've always been kind of the hits guy. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I'm fine with that. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I mean, I get it. <laughs> you know, I have a greatest hits docking album loaded on my phone right now, you know, for, which, by the way, if I was going to pick an album, I think it goes without saying Shout at the Devil. Um, but I I mean, I'm going to keep leaning on Dawkins a lot. Yeah. You know, for under lock and key and back for the attack. Good God. But if we're if we're talking hair metal, I don't know that Shout at the Devil's because the music on it's Shout not, at the Devil is not yeah, the standard it's, it's thing. No, it's not. But. <sighs> That's the interesting thing about crew is that, you know, when Nikki was young, you know, Nikki was listening to the raspberries. Yeah. You know, in the late seventies, obviously he's a kiss man, you know, he likes love gun and, you know, rock and roll over and stuff like that. But like Nikki was, he's a, he's different. He's a different songwriter in that sense. And then you don't have Molly crew without Mick Mars because, no. Those are Nikki's songs ran through Mix Filter. Yeah. And for fucking like it or not, Mick Mars guitar style is def is defining to Motley Crue. Oh, sure. You can have a crew without Vince. You can have yeah. a crew without Tommy, but you cannot have a crew without Nikki and Mick. I, I don't I don't I don't agree with the without Tommy because it, Tommy, I would say, was almost like a second front man to that band. He was he was not out front singing. Mm -hmm. 
but his personality was the bigger personality out of all four of those guys. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. But they toured with Randy because Randy Castillo from Ozzy's band. And yeah, it was great. Yeah. You know, and I that 1994 album with John Karabi is fucking good. <laughs> it's musically it's a better album, but we didn't. That album was no one has that album. <laughs> we we did I, not fucking we did not I, fucking buy that. I album. have I the, have two copies of that album. <laughs> we were because here here's another thing about like w- when I came up through there, w- we were like NASCAR fan loyal about band members, and if somebody would lose a band member, we would just stop listening to them because that guy wasn't there anymore. <laughs> it was not the same. Uh, the only one of the only bands that survived that was Van Halen. When they lost David Lee Roth and and Sammy came in, we were like, uh, I don't know. And then it worked and we were okay with it because they were still, but I think that was because like had they had lost Eddie, of course, it we would have not no one would have they couldn't have replaced him. Right. But it worked with Sammy and could you imagine Eddie not in Van Halen? You know? Well, no, it would just it, they would it wouldn't that was not the band. <laughs> it, was, it would be sad, you know, in yeah. a way. I feel like Alex would have drank himself to death, you know. Like, <laughs> he wouldn't have even pleaded. Just <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "I'm not fucking playing." Somebody go get my go get my brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That's I remember seeing Alex with the the neck brace, you know, there for a couple years. You yeah. Know? Yep. You know, yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was having to do the uh, Star Wars action figure arms. <laughs> terrible. Uh, all right. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, I think shout at the devil is apart from it somehow. It's like we need to. It would be worth it to to do an episode just on the impact of that album alone. Uh, shout at the devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. It was a big deal. But I, honestly, to me, Theater of Pain was was the bigger album out of Cruz that that, that at that time period. Theater of Pain was a much much. Bigger album, big. I mean, bigger for sure. And theater of pain's not a all a loss. No, now, I, I I like I like it. I I'm I'm totally okay with that album. I think um was it keep your eye on the money, louder than hell, smoking in the boys' room, home yeah. sweet home, yep, city boy blues. Is that on there? I don't remember. That's, no, that's the opening song on the album. Gunk gunk gunk. Gong, 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 gong. Yeah, yeah, that's the opening song. I haven't, I haven't yeah. listened to it for a while, but I was just listening yep. louder than hell the other day. I love that. I think, I, I think Theater of Pain. That if we're if we're discussing hair band metal, Theater of Pain was was Motley Crue's biggest hair band metal. Because when when Girls 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 came, that that was a that was a that was a new engine in that car for sure. Oh. That was. That was a mu- that was a muscle car, not not a regular. They which which is funny because they were bottoming out at that point. You know oh I mean? yeah, like Nikki, the mo- just was a mess. <laughs> yeah, the, the momentum behind the hype of the band is what carried them through that. And look, uh, Carter has said it before: girls, girls, girls was just sort of apathetically shat out. You know, and uh-huh. I I agree with him. I absolutely agree with him. Wild side and girls, girls, girls. There is nothing else on that album to write home about yeah 
it's the only reason I bought it is so I could laugh at the inner sleeve, you know, that <laughs> the picture yeah. of the picture of the nightclub. I'll throw I'll see if yeah. I can throw, throw up a picture of it so you guys can see it. But it's just yeah. Crazy. Well, I think um, the the hair the heroin diaries that was that whole entire year that uh, was it like 1988 89 that Nikki wrote that book and that's what was happening during that year and it was well, I mean <laughs> it it's was amazing. surprising it's surprising it's, that an album even came out yeah agree agree I think that when they released Doctor Feelgood in '89 you know I think a lot of people the band included consider that the creme de la creme of yeah. the of the Motley catalog. And I would say as albums go, it's probably the strongest. Yeah. From, from front to back, that from album, that old album is the strongest for sure. From, from front to back. And that the only reason I say that is because side two of shout at the devil. Yeah. You know, j just side two. If you know lost what I mean? it, <laughs> lost it. Yeah. They be fucked it. You know, yeah. you guys fucked it. It's not so good. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think Red Hot's still good, you know, but oof, yeah, the, the back end of Shout at the Devil. But I mean, that tells you how strong the front end of it is. Even. Yeah. Because even, everyone, everyone knows that album. Yeah. Even the Beatles cover too. So Helter, that version of Helter Skelter is awesome. Great. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. So, okay. So you're saying Night Songs. I'm saying Under Lock and Key Docking. And then we both agree that. Shot at the devil's sort of, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and and theater pain for sure. And but that could have been that could have been my time period alone. You know how how old I was, and and sure. we were we were driving and and able to go places on our own and and go to concerts. And so that album for me sticks out because I think of the freedom that I had during that time period. So you you relate you relate to that because sure. of that yeah well it's i mean it's a soundtrack to our lives sure absolutely you know? yeah. yeah yeah it's good it's fun to think about it so okay all right let's call it a wrap all right man. all right guys that is it for another episode of music the lifebloods conversations from the pit music the lifebloods something old something new what are you listening to Hey folks, don't forget you can support Music the Lightblood by buying some of our shit. Go to tchip.com and check out the MTLB Ultra Mega Store. Tons of fun stuff. Coffee mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, all kinds of shit. So you look cool for once. Alright. Fucking merch. <laughs>